Jody Vanson for Mike Smith and connecting with Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, Baldry's Beat. And Keith, we've got breaking news on Baldry's Beat today. Yes, uh, Ravi Kalan, Jobs Minister Ravi Kalan, who is considered one of the two front runners for to succeed uh, John Horgan as NDP leader, is not going to enter the leadership race, and he's endorsing David Eby, who is yet to declare his candidacy, but will soon. And that basically ends the race, as far as I can determine. I don't see anyone having the the um, ability to beat uh, to beat David Eby. I'm told David Eby has the will will have hasn't been announced yet. Will have. The endorsement of more than half uh, the NDP caucus. Uh, he's got some pretty deep roots in the party. Kalon, Ravi Kalon, had a chance to um, uh, to be a competitor here because he's got he's got extensive roots in the party as well. He worked for the party uh, and he worked uh, for the caucus for a number of years, so his roots go far and deep. But I talked to Ravi Kalon, Ravi Kalon this morning. He also has a 12 year old son. He has a family, and uh, as does David Eby, whose kids are younger. And Ravi said, you know, it's just at the end of the day, uh, family comes first uh, right now, considering a 12-year-old is uh, entering the teen years, and uh, that needs more parental uh, guidance and and such than uh, at other ages. So he's decided not to run. I have great respect for that decision, that family decision, as I often say about about my now 14-year-old. But, you know, when opportunities were arising to work early mornings or late nights, and I had to say, you know what, my kid's going to fire me one day. I'd like to be there for him in the interim. You know, there's that. And I really dig that. And reading A Matter of Confidence as well, the book written by our colleague Richard Zussman, my colleague at Czech News, uh, Rob Shaw, reading A Matter of Confidence and seeing David Eby's story embedded in the story of John Horgan becoming premier is really quite fascinating. Share that uh, that little bit of history, if you will, with our listener. Yeah, well, Eby, there have been rumors that Eby was trying to become leader, uh, and John Horgan was very much a, a reluctant leader of the NDP. He took the job because no one else wanted it, and Eby basically had to go to Horgan at one point and say, look, I, I'm not, I don't want this, you know, this is, this is you. You're the leader. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not trying to gun for your job here. But it was clear that Ev has long had very, you know, lofty ambitions, and as he should. I mean, he's a very accomplished cabinet minister and lawyer. Uh, so he's got, uh, he's got a, a foundation there that he can rely on. But he was pegged as a potential leadership rival to John Horgan very early on, but he took it upon himself to say, no, I'm not. I'm not that guy. I'm not doing that. But now that Horgan is leaving, it does open the door for David Eby to uh, walk in his shoes, and I think he will. And not exposing anything that wasn't put out there in that book is how David Eby's family came first in that when, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as somebody who went through IVF, has struggled to get pregnant and stay pregnant, I went through fertility treatment. And, and now, as you mentioned, David Eby with a couple of kids, so great. Um, when you've been on a journey uh, that involves fertility treatment, as yes. has the EB family, I mean, that is something significant in making the decision to to really put family first. I think that's a great quality in, in any leader uh, and, and of any political stripe. And, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up, because I really think that North Delta MLA Robbie Kalon making the decision to put his family and, and really his 12-year-old son's next number of years ahead of any aspirations politically. And at 43, Ravi Kalon has lots of time. That's the thing uh, to keep in mind here. I mean, Ravi Kalon is young. Bowen Ma, the North End Lonsdale MLA, who's been you know part of the 
speculation list of people who might run is young as well. There's Sometimes you run in a leadership races not to win this time, but to win next time. But there's plenty of time for Ravi Kalon. If he wants to run for leadership of the NDP, he's got years ahead of him to do that. And I expect at some point he probably will. Indeed. So there's some news right there. Many speculating that uh, this would put David Eby in a position to be the next leader of the NDP and, in fact, the next Premier of British Columbia. When do we expect an announcement from Eby as everybody is pulling out and endorsing here and, and yet... He hasn't even announced. He hasn't, his... hasn't said anything yet. Well, the one thing: once you announce your candidacy, you're no longer going to be a cabinet minister. And I have to wonder: does David Eby have some things he wants to accomplish as he in his portfolio as a, not only attorney general but as the housing minister? Um, right now, the housing minister uh, part of his portfolio is the is the active one, and he does have a number of things he wants to accomplish in that. And I wonder if that may hold him back a bit in terms of announcing his candidacy. And also, I think people want to see what the rules are uh, in terms of membership uh, sign-ups, how the balloting is going to work, and also the uh, what's the fee going to be to, to actually throw your hat in the ring. It's not You don't do it for free. I think last no. time it was $25,000, and the fundraising rules have changed uh, on how you can raise money. So all that has to be factored into this as well. All right, that's a big piece of the puzzle. So there's politics in BC managed, but let's talk on a federal level mm-hmm. and some big news out of the Conservative Party. Holy, oh, well. holy cow! Yeah, Patrick Brown, uh, who is one of the, well, there are three, I think, front runners. Although I think Pierre Poliev is considered to be the front runner, but Jean Charest and Patrick Brown were the other two considered to be competitive with Poliev. And suddenly, last night, the uh, Conservative Party executive uh, decided to terminate Brown's candidacy for leadership with not really clear reasons. I mean, there seems to be suggestions that some uh, outside people had been contracted to to hire or to recruit members and such. Brown disputes everything. He says he's been kept in the dark. So this is a party that was already in trouble, in disarray internally, and now has just blown up its leadership race by turfing one of its uh, credible contenders out of the blue. Uh, this continues to percolate through that race. I'm not clear if it's going to benefit Poliev or, or hurt him. I think probably benefit him was one of his main competitors out of the race. But uh, yeah, this has really uh, tainted the leadership race for that party and just further uh, erodes that party's ability to keep its head above water. When we're watching the constant state of upheaval within the Conservative Party again. It's just really, uh, it's really something. Well, it's, it's a once proud party. I mean, this is the party of Brian Mulroney and, uh, and Stephen Harper that ruled, you know, controversially, but still effectively for, for decades. And now decades. is this, yeah. this complete disarray. It's gone significantly rightward. It's tilted to the right uh, considerably. Pierre Poliev embracing the, the trucker convoy and all that goes with that uh, is taking the party in the direction that it hasn't been for years. I mean, people regarded Stephen Harper as a sort of a fairly right-wing uh, fellow. Nothing compared to where Poliev wants to take the party. And that's unsettling for a number of people in the party who have written op-ed pieces in national publications worried about the state of the Conservative Party no longer reflecting the mainstream values that kept it together for so long, which again raises the specter, is this party going to break apart as it did post-Mulroney into the Reform Party and the you know the other faction, the Canadian Alliance, I think it was called back then, 
uh, two yeah. different parties. It's hard to see how the Shrey and Browns and their supporters stay in the same room as totally a post-leadership uh, vote. This is going to be something. Uh, talking about being in the same room, you've got some news on the BCGEU table. Yes, yeah, so and a very unusual move. The employer, which is a public service agency, yesterday released the offer it had made to the BCGU. This is a unique set of negotiations. Usually both sides keep their, their information close to the vest, but early on the GEU uh, released what they were looking for and what the government was offering. And that, then talks fell apart. Then there was a strike vote. Then talks resumed. Then they fell apart on Monday. The GEU said the government hasn't moved. Well, the government responded by saying, oh, yes, we have. Uh, so now the government is, and the public service agency is, is offering 11% over three years uh, raise, uh, and then also a $2,500 signing bonus. So we'll see. I think what's going on here is I think the, the employer is trying to reach over the heads of the BCGU negotiators directly to the membership because all the members got an email yesterday at 3.30. Everyone got the same yeah. email saying, here's the offer, $2,500. And 11%, which is made up of 3, 3, and 3, was assorted little additions added to it to make it 11%. And hoping that that gets the attention of the members in a way that the union negotiators um, would not communicate. And it's interesting, and you know, I've talked about this before, Jody, union negotiators, and I've been one in the past, don't like signing bonuses necessarily because they don't get added into the base uh, going right. forward. Or the know, pension. Or the pension. So over a period of 20 years, a 1% or 2 3% raise does have a significant impact uh, accumulatively and on your pension. A $2,500 signing bonus does not. However, a $2,500 signing bonus has a real impact on your uh, purchaseability today. Um, right, right right now. If you want to retire a credit card debt or you want to purchase, you want to go on a trip, you want to purchase a flat screen TV, whatever, that's a significant amount whatever. of money. And they're hoping that talks to the members in a way that the, the, the union negotiators do not. And I suspect, Jody, if this goes nowhere with the GEU, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the same offer, the same package, 11% over three years, $2,500 signing bonus, is not offered to other unions because everyone basically gets the same anyways. I would suspect you put this in front of the HEU membership, which are generally lower paid than the BCGU membership, maybe that has it gets acceptance. If a union takes this as a deal, that sets the stage for all other unions taking that deal. I think that's what uh, the, the, the big strategy is here from the government's perspective. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith. It is Baldry's Beat with Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. Phone lines are open for your call. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 is a free call on your cell. I got an email from Jenny and Jenny says, no word on Brad West? <laughs> I really like him from what I heard him on the radio. Uh, Jenny's wondering about Brad West perhaps joining the leadership race for uh, the NDP mm -hmm. in BC. And, and certainly Brad West has put any speculation about that to rest, has he not? Yes, he's uh, going to run. It's hard for any, an outsider who's not been active in the party to to uh, win the NDP leadership. I remember one of the more notable cases was uh, David Vickers back in 1984, which I actually covered, uh, which was uh, former deputy minister, a lot of people, former deputy attorney general, a lot of people uh, speculated, oh, he's, he's going to be a front runner, he's going to be a front runner. Well, it became very quickly apparent he may have been a media darling, uh, but he had no support in terms of delegates because he hadn't been, you know, um, through ND, the NDP mill in terms of, question, of uh, attending conventions and conferences over the years. So uh, Brad West is a guy to keep an eye on. 
Zion, no question. I think he's the heir apparent to Mike Farnworth's seat in that riding, should whenever Farnworth decides to bail from Port Coquitlam. Uh, Brad West is the natural fit there. So he will, I think, down the road, uh, very much part of a leadership uh, uh, contest, just not this time. I want to pick your brain a bit about how those dominoes fall. If in the event that David Eby does, let's speculate, hypothetically become the next Premier of British Columbia, like you said, it, it moves around who sits where, whose file is whose. Do you mm-hmm. have a perspective on, on how the chips might fall? Well, it's interesting in terms of uh, a new leader wants to put his his or her own stamp on the government. Um, but the challenge for Eby or whoever succeeds Horgan is what, there's no need for renewal right now for the NDP. Uh, it's not like the government's in trouble. Uh, the government's right. the, the party's uh, sailing high in the polls. A lot of that is attributed to John Horgan's leadership, no question. When John Horgan leaves, does that number start tumbling? Uh, the opponent, the D.C. Liberals, are still in disarray, still licking their wounds from what happened to them and trying to renew themselves. So the challenge of renewal is really a B.C. Liberal challenge, not an NDP one. But nevertheless, E.B. or whoever will want to put their own stamp on the party. And it will be interesting whether E.B. revisits some of the issues that uh, John Horgan put his stamp on and perhaps open them up again. Uh, Vaughn Palmer wrote a column, good column this, uh, this week about how certain issues that uh, environmental issues, for example. Um, Horgan has said no to banning old-growth logging. Uh, there have been deferrals, but there's no ban on it. Uh, Horgan did decide to proceed with the uh, Site C Dam project. That, that's not going to change. That that has gone past the point of no return. Uh, but LNG Canada is still stuck in neutral a bit here. Does the government change its position on that? Does it change its position on certain other environmental policies, which EB in opposition seem to gravitate more towards those issues in terms of being a little more pro-environment than perhaps Horgan was, who took a more pragmatic position. So that's the thing to keep an eye on when there's a change in leader. Will there be a change in in some key policies? I think it'd be pretty risky because, again, I think the the NDP is where they are in public opinion because they've been practicing what I've called progressive centrism, which is you stick to the middle, but you're progressive on certain issues, but you don't go all in on activist issues because the majority of voters are just not there. Right, that stability of the scales happens mm-hmm. with that centrist piece, exactly. and and certainly that stability is something that voters appear to be looking for uh, as we continue to navigate these turbulent waters of not just a pandemic, but the opioid crisis, affordability crisis, the money laundering piece of the puzzle, the ICBC issues. Yep. Like, there's so much at play here. Keith, as always, appreciate you. Thanks for everything. Mike's back tomorrow, so you get your guy back. No, I'm off for two days because um, my youngest daughter's getting married on Saturday and I got a lot of work to do. Oh, congratulations, Dad. Open up that wallet and enjoy. It's been been open all week, believe you me. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Okay, Keith Baldry, great guy and Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Of course, you know him. You love him here on Baldry's Beat.